Welcome back to another episode of Carla Reads the Classics. Let's jump right in with Theodore Pratt's The Money, Segment 6. A few days after Mr. Wesley's funeral, they were sitting in the clubhouse with the door open for light and air. With the door closed, they had learned they needed a lighting system, so each member asked for, or snitched, a number of candles from his house and contributed them with some matches to be kept in Paul's chair. Another box was added, this placed on its end, and when secret meetings were held, a lighted candle rested on top of this, lighting the clubhouse in a flickering way. This morning, George used his favorite expression when bringing up a subject by saying, You know something? They looked at their leader to see what he knew. As though revealing an immense secret, George confided, Mr. Brawley, the detective, and the other one with him, When they looked in the house, they didn't find anything in the rooms, I mean upstairs. And maybe they looked in the cellar, but did they dig in it? Remember, it's a dirt floor. They absorbed the exciting prospect for a moment. They looked at each other. Gracie said, maybe we'd better get over there before somebody else does. Paul had a question. Even if he had some money, he must have spent a lot since he retired, so maybe there isn't much left. "'There's enough,' declared Henny. Joey opened his mouth, but George cut him off by shouting, "'Don't say it! Don't you say it!' They raced from the house with one accord. They bent low so as not to be seen. Running crouched over. On the way, one of them cried, "'Maybe somebody else has been here already.' But they couldn't tell in the excitement who said it. There was no question about how they would enter the house. They scrambled through the basement window and finally, panting, stood in the cellar. To their relief, they could see no evidence of anyone having dug in the dirt floor. George looked about, taking command. We forgot to bring our shovel. I'll go back and get it, but before I do, there's one here. He strode over to the ancient furnace, picked up the long-handled coal shovel, and gave it to Paul, ordering, You start. Paul took it, asking, Where shall I start? Any place, George pointed to the center of the floor. There. Paul started to dig. You others, George ordered, poke around, see if you can find anywhere that looks like it's been dug up. Except Joey. "'We got to keep a guard looking to see if anybody comes. "'You go upstairs and watch out through the front door.' "'I don't want to go up there. "'You've got to. "'You're the smallest and can't dig as good as us. "'I can dig as good as anybody.' "'Gracie, already poking about, bending down to examine the earth, "'spoke over her shoulder definitely. "'No, you can't.' "'Go on,' George urged. "'Nothing's going to hurt you. "'You've got the easiest job.' I want to be here when it's found. George became firm. Now you get up there. When we find it, we'll call you right down. You promise? Oh, go on, and you keep a good watch. Reluctantly, Joey climbed the stairs. By the time he reached the door, George was gone out the window to get their shovel, and the others were all busy at the floor. They stopped only for an instant when Joey opened the door and it creaked. Joey entered the hall slowly. He dreaded going to the front hall where he had seen Mr. Wesley, but under the lash of George's orders, he forced himself. When he reached the spot, he was sure he could still see Mr. Wesley. He could smell him, too, so he didn't breathe very deeply. 
He went to the doors. He could look out between places where the design of the glazed glass was left clear. There was no one on the street. He could hear them in the cellar. Once there came the rasp of metal on metal, and he hoped they'd found it right away, so he wouldn't have to stay there long. He waited for them to call him, but they didn't. The suspicion that they might not live up to their promise but keep the money for themselves came to him, and it made him uneasy. He got tired of standing there, so he sat down on the floor, which was dusty, and from there kept looking out through the door. He didn't like it. He didn't like it at all. He thought he heard a noise from upstairs. He jerked his head around and looked up the stairs. They appeared to be a mountain to him. Lots of strange things might be up there. He'd heard about ghosts. Maybe the ghost of Mr. Wesley was up there. Maybe it would come down after him. Trembling, Joey got to his feet. He forgot to keep looking out the glass door and be on watch. All he wanted was to get out of there. He ran down the hall and jerked open the cellar door and practically slid down the stairs. The others stopped their work and stared at him. They had a number of holes dug with the earth piled up beside them. Henny had taken Paul's shovel. George, somewhat disheveled, worked with theirs, and Gracie dug with a trowel she had found, while Paul poked with a long iron rod. George began, I told you! Still trembling, Joey defied him. I won't stay up there. I won't. George, letting his shovel lean against him while he wiped his streaming face with one sleeve, then spread his hands in a give-up gesture. Disgustedly, he said, I suppose nobody will come, but don't make too much noise, and we'll have to listen once in a while. I want to dig, Joey said. Dig, George told him. He went back to work, thrusting his shovel into the ground with his foot and bringing up earth. Joey looked about to find something to dig with. There wasn't anything, so he got down on his knees and began to dig with his hands. The others looked at him, shaking their heads. They took turns with the shovels, George giving up his to Gracie for a time. They even let Joey have one, and he dug with it almost viciously, throwing up earth to prove he could do it as well as anyone, though soon he began to pant and had to give up. George took the iron rod and began to thrust it into the earth in the hose they dug. From time to time, at George's word, they stopped and listened, but hearing nothing. These stops began to be welcomed. Soon they became an excuse to rest, and George seemed to call them more frequently. They dug until they had the whole floor of the cellar covered with holes, and then they filled these in and dug where they had merely placed earth before, until the entire area had been covered. Then they all had the thrill of a shovel, of a shovel worked by Henny, hitting something, making a clanging noise. Both shovels went at this frantically, but they uncovered only a large stone, which they worked out of the ground and angrily threw aside. They dug until they were exhausted, but they turned up no treasure. They were sure they hadn't dug deeply enough and dug more deeply, breathing heavily, but no fortune appeared. Finally, they rested. They were covered with sweat and dirt. They looked at each other with in despair. Paul, leaning against the wall, let his gaze wander about the cellar. He flipped back his damp, dark hair. His gaze came to rest on the coal furnace. Just beside it was the bin holding its coal. This made him remember the sooty dirt on Mr. Wesley's hand the day of the fight with him.
The connection hit Paul so forcibly that at first he could only stutter trying to get it out. The Kolb, he croaked. The Kolb bin. They followed his gaze. The coal bin was open at the front, with quite a bit of coal flowing down to the floor in a black cascade. His idea penetrated to them at once. That's it! Henny exclaimed. Joey was the first to act. He grabbed a shovel and attacked the pile of coal. When George tried to pull him out of the way, wanting to dig with the other shovel himself, Joey thrust at him hard, preventing him from taking his place. Joey kept digging throwing out coal until black dust rose and got in their eyes. Then, all at once, like a deep note of a great, wonderful symphony, Joey's shovel hit something in addition to coal. There was a definitely new sound, not a clang, but more like a solid thud. He couldn't hold them off then. They all leaped at the coal bin, and from it, George scrabbled away coal with his hands, unearthed an object about a foot and a half long by a foot wide and perhaps four inches thick that was wrapped in a thin suited cloth. He pulled this out, jerking it, and brought it into the clear, while they all clustered around closely. Pulling and tearing, George got the cloth cloth off their find and cast it aside. It was almost unbelievably a rusted green corroded metal box. Joey jumped, losing his balance on the dug-up uneven floor and nearly fell. He screamed, I told you! I told you! There was no lock on the box. It had a hasp, once painted green but also corroded in the same manner. George knelt on the ground, putting down the box on a fairly flat place. They all joined him, crowding around closely, bending over to see. There was an instant which they savored to the hilt before the box was opened. Then George slowly and reverently lifted its top, and there, still more unbelievably, were to be seen, completely filling the box, thick packets of money held together with rubber bands, one of which had been broken. End of segment six.